Hey, and welcome to Vineyard Church Cardiff's podcast. Today, we have another from the archives preach from the wonderful Ellie Mumford. This was a talk that she gave to our church on a weekend where she and John came down for teaching and ministry back in January. It was an amazing message that really blessed us and equipped us then, and so I know it will do the same this weekend as you listen back. So may you be blessed wherever you are tuning in and enjoy this message. Well, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. This is your show. This is your thing. And we, we're just very aware of your presence. I mean, that was a very wonderful time. The minute we started, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, I lost it. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got it together at all, actually. <laughs> got to find something for you people. I'm actually very, I mean, believe it or not, we are really very excited about this weekend. John and I invited ourselves. We said, <laughs> we thought we, we need to find a good church somewhere in the west of England. I know what, let's go to Wales. So, <laughs> we've, just, we've just moved down to Devonshire, which is actually God's chosen county, but... <laughs> lovely but we felt this was quite close so we said to James and Jen might we just come and, and play maybe for a Sunday oh, for a Sunday we thought however for all of Friday all of Saturday all of Sunday and we're here and we're loving it and actually what started out as a sort of almost like a little joke we'll do let's come and play where I'm well I speak for us both but we're dead excited about this weekend I think it's quite important I do think it's exciting I don't sort of want to ramp things up or make things happen, any of that stuff. This has nothing to do with us. It's only the Lord's intentions that will be seen and fulfilled today and over the weekend. But I think the Lord has intentions. I think he has plans for us, and I think he's wanting to open the windows of heaven. I think he's wanting to shift this church on. I think he's wanting to move you from this place to the next place. I think his favor is on you. I think he's very thrilled with you. I think he's very impressed at the way you have stood the test of the last 18 months or two years, which has been hideously difficult. And it's as if we're now beginning to move out of that into what Winston Churchill used to call the sunlit uplands. And God, we pray for the sunlit uplands. And we pray that your sun would break. And we pray that your favor would fall on this precious church of your establishing in this incredibly significant city, in this land which is so precious to you. And so Lord, we commit everything we do this weekend, every word that is said, every prayer that is prayed, every song that is sung, may it be according to what you would have us to do. And the people said again, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now here comes your starter for 10. Where in the Bible, in the course of one short passage, do all these words occur? Without warning, gale force wind, wildfire. They came on the run. They were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of anything. They were confused. They were mocking. They're drunk with cheap wine, they said. Now you've got it. And shame on you if there wasn't one person in this room who didn't recognize the modern translation of Acts chapter 2. I want to talk about the day of Pentecost. Now, this is completely out of season, although I choose to think before the curve. It's actually <laughs> never out of date. So it is out of season, but it's not out of date. 
because we are looking to the Lord for a Pentecostal moment for this church at this season. And this is what it is all about. And I want to read to you the first part of Acts chapter 2, which of course is familiar, but it surely must be one of the most exciting, fun-filled, action-packed chapters, even by the high standards of the book of Acts. It is dizzying stuff. And unusually for me, I'm going to read it from the message, which is a bit modern for me, but just now and again, it comes, it comes up trim. Sometimes it's a little bit too vernacular, but in this case, I think it's wonderful. And I'll read it at a lick. Just listen to this for drama. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. And it filled the whole building. And then like wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks. And they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. Now, there were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another their own mother tongues being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on. And they kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? Which is a rather rude word then. How come that we're hearing them talk in our own various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages. They're describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What is going on, they said. And others joked, they're only drunk on, chump, on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up. And backed by the other 11, he spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, and we are in the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy and also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they will prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives. We will not miss it. That day, tremendous and marvelous. And whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. It is the most amazing, amazing passage. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Just because it happened then, and we love to read about it, does not mean it cannot happen now. I'm for, I love history, I'm a historian by training, but I am for now. That was then, people, this is now. This is what we long for right here and now, this very weekend, nothing less. The events of Pentecost, when they actually happened, were extraordinary. It was very physical. Leaping flames, like a wildfire, howling gale winds, a cacophony of languages. 
These things were experienced, they were seen, they were felt, they were heard. Christianity is a very physical thing. Little wonder a crowd gathered. Jerusalem would have been full at that time because full of um, pilgrims ready for the big festival. And they would have traveled across the whole known world, which is why they got so excited when they heard things in their own languages. And this strategy, because it really was nothing less, was choreographed by the Holy Spirit. For God poured out his spirit, very strategically, on pilgrims who were going to go to the feast and then they were going home. They were going to spread out all across the then known world and they're going to tell of what they've seen and heard. They're going to gossip about the gospel to anybody who will listen to them. Do you remember when Peter and John were pulled in front of the Sanhedrin and told us, stop talking about the name of Jesus? Dangerous stuff. Do you notice how many times we sang the name of Jesus this evening? Do you wonder he visited? Do you wonder he's here? He loves to hear his name called. But they said they were commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And they said, we cannot but help speaking of what we have seen and heard. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And don't you sometimes marvel at the way that the Lord has used and continues to use geography, history, technology, man's inventiveness, every possible means of communication by which to get his message across. The Romans had built roads, and along those roads, the gospel was going to spread out from Jerusalem as the pilgrims went home talking about all that they'd seen and heard. Centuries later, of course, there was another explosion in the church with the invasion and the invention of the printing press and what was known as the propagation of the gospel. And now, of course, we have the internet through which the Lord seems quite as pleased to work as through anything else. I never would have thought of it when I first came to Christ. And quite honestly, it was fairly unimaginable even this time last year or the year before. The Lord is not mocked, people. This pandemic thing has not caught him on the hop. He has not lost the plot. He is not out of control. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is where he's always been, seated on the throne at the center, the nerve center of the universe, and he is not mocked. We are just scooped up and swept up into something extraordinary. But at the heart of it all, the Lord is where he has ever been. And like we sang, he is sovereign over all. However, I digress. Back to Jerusalem. <laughs> Back to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The people came running. They were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them work out what was going on because they knew that these Galileans were essentially working men and uneducated. And yet they were seemingly speaking in languages that Parthians, Medes and Elamites and all these people could understand. And the age-old debate, of course, has always been, did the disciples speak in those languages? Now that's not tongues, it's different from the precious gift of tongues, which many of us have been enjoying this evening. No. Did they speak in that languages? Or was it that the people heard in those languages? Which was it? Who cares? It was a miracle. It was a miracle, people. It was a miracle. It was the most amazing thing, and it was history-making. It was extraordinary. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make anything of it. They couldn't be blamed for thinking the disciples were sloshed, frankly. <laughs> At which point, Peter leapt to his feet, raised his voice above the hubbub, and began to explain. Now, remember this. This is the Peter 
who a few weeks before had been cowering furtively, denying point blank that he had ever known Jesus, and now bold as brass, he preaches possibly the most powerful, complete, beautifully crafted sermon that has ever been preached. He spoke with bold urgency. Listen carefully, he said. What authority? What authority on this man? Listen carefully to what I say. These people haven't been drinking. It's far too early in the morning for crying out loud. That bit's hidden in the original Greek. (laughs) The Holy Spirit had been poured out, exactly as Jesus himself had predicted in his last words to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and I know for sure he means Cardiff and he means now. His Spirit will be poured out in power in this place, because Pentecost is all about power, which is why I felt so strongly that that's what I wanted to talk about today, and indeed over the course of the weekend. The prophet Joel had prophesied, and he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, both men and women, and here in Jerusalem, we're seeing that coming to pass. And most spectacularly of all, we have Peter changed from a coward to a champion, from a pathetic figure to a preacher extraordinaire, all within the course of a day. There's nothing that cannot happen in the course of a day. There is nothing that cannot emerge from the course of a weekend like this together. And as so often, what intrigues me about this amazing passage, experience goes hand in hand with explanation. And this must be one of the most dramatic instances in the whole of the scripture of those two things working hand in hand. People were living through an experience. It was something they'd seen, they'd heard it, they'd felt it. They cannot got away from it. And now came the explanation. Experience, explanation. Two sides of a coin. We need both. We can't just be all experience and we can't all just be just explanation. We've got to have both and. Two sides of the Christian coin. And as they were listening, and as they ran towards the noise, and as they caught up in the, it got caught up in the incredulity of it all, Peter said, now listen, let me explain to you people exactly what's going on. The, spirit, the scriptures and the spirit together. Simon Ponsonby, many of you will know his name, favorite theologian of the Vineyard Movement, wonderful Anglican mother, brother, but we forgive him that. The scriptures, he said, lead me to be a charismatic. The spirit leads me back to the scriptures. Did you like it? The scriptures lead me to be a charismatic. I cannot, in all honesty, not be a charismatic if I'm a scripture girl. But the spirit leads me back to the scriptures. We cannot have one without the other. Rowan Williams, one of the most eminent of Welshmen, previous Archbishop of Canterbury, an academic, a poet, towering intellect, very difficult sometimes to understand. In a moment of glorious simplicity, he said this, to understand the scripture, we need the spirit. There you have it. Another friend of mine recently prayed in a prayer meeting, which I loved. She said, she prayed that the Holy Spirit would anoint the memory of scripture in our hearts. I long for God to anoint the memory of scripture in my heart, that I can pray it out and sing it out and speak it out and pray it out because these go together. 
And so the Holy Spirit, having been so manifestly physically poured out, then Peter began to explain, this is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And this I love because it is the most explicit foretelling of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because it embraces us all. Talk about the unity, the inclusivity, the diversity of the people that he's come to bless, those that he's come upon to empower. Every kind of people, it says, sons and daughters, young and old. I will pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both. There is nobody who is excluded. There is nobody who is not a part of this. And it's a glorious thing. And then, of course, on he goes to preach out of the scriptures. This brusque, uneducated, unlettered fisherman now has a new level of energy, a new ability to do things that he could never have done before. Have you ever heard somebody say, I didn't think I could ever have done that? Have you ever come away from something, praying for somebody, a conversation with somebody, talking in the office about Jesus to somebody? Have you ever come away and said, I can't believe it was me. I could never do that. But you can. But you can, you see. I want to raise your levels of expectation. I want you to go away from this weekend so bold, so urgent in wanting to talk about Jesus or pray for the sick or witness to somebody or prophesy or do anything on the buses, on the trains, wherever you are. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this led to a season of such bravery and urgency in people that, dash it all, we're going to take a risk. We're going to go and do this stuff, okay? So exciting. Peter, you see, had been so changed. He'd been so empowered. He'd been so filled with the Holy Spirit. So what are we to draw from all of this? Consider what the outpouring of that Spirit looked like in him. At one level, a dead, ordinary, working man who'd had some very bad moments and a very sticky recent past. At another level, he was an extraordinary example of what God can sovereignly achieve in somebody as he chooses to. The Holy Spirit can be unleashed upon any man or woman at any point, not least now. So very quickly, what does he do? What does he do? What should we look for? You see, the Holy Spirit changes us. He completely changes us. 1 Samuel even in the Old Testament times, the prophet Samuel spoke to Saul and he said, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will be changed into a different person. Do you remember it happened to Gideon, the wimp that became a warrior? It happened to Samson who had incredible strength. It's happened all through the scriptures as the Holy Spirit changes people. Michael Green, wonderful, wonderful Anglican clergyman, recently died, and he wrote a fabulous book on the Holy Spirit. If you could never find it, I Believe in the Holy Spirit, it's called. And he said this, The Spirit of God came upon Christian individuals in order to create in them a quality of life that would otherwise be beyond their powers. You see, we long for the Holy Spirit to change us into people who are attractive for Jesus, into people that other people want to be around. It isn't all about us. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to change us into what he would like us to be. And the whole of Scripture and the whole of history is littered with examples. And consider them in your own life, the lives of your own family, the lives of the people in this church. 
Think of people in this church that you've known over the last months and years and you've watched changed as they worship God together, as they study the scriptures, as they minister to one another. We can all be changed. And it's a wonderful thing. And you see, that's what people are looking for. That's what the people beyond these doors are longing for. They're longing for men and women who believe and represent Jesus. People think societies, oh, it's all very pluralistic, it's all very this, it's all very that, it's all very against the gods. No, it's not. That's what we're told. That's what we're sold. But there's deep longing within people, a deep longing for this to be true and for them to find out about it before it's too late. I had a friend in London a little while ago now, and she'd been to one of those Holy Spirit weekends, dangerous stuff, with Alpha, and she came back and um, she said this, to, she told me about it after, she said, I felt different the next morning, hopeful, more free, more peaceful. She had been changed. Now, the colleague I share an office with knows that I'm a Christian, and we've talked before, and she said to me this morning, you're different, you're glowing, something is different. Now, I don't know what it is, said this friend to her, but there's something around you that's amazing. I feel great and peaceful sitting near you, being in your presence. I don't know what it is, but it's amazing, and I'd love some of it. Oh, dear God, wouldn't you love one of those? <laughs> dear Lord, give us each one of those. I just want to be near you. Do you know John Wimber, who will sometimes quote, who was the man that God um, used to, to start the vineyard movement in the States probably over 40 years ago now, and he was once in an airline queue, waiting for, um, you know, check-in or something. And a woman came up sort of close to him like this. And it wasn't inappropriate. It was nothing nasty. But he, he realized what was going on. And he said, isn't it great, lady? It's the presence of Jesus. <laughs> just, I mean, people just want to be around the presence of Jesus. And as we allow him to change us, we go out with a new boldness and a new readiness, and other people catch it. What? In, in the restaurant? Yeah. Yes, okay. That's... <laughs> Should I tell them the miserable bit or the fun bit? We went to Scotland in, in August to bury my poor little sister, who had died, obviously. But, um, sorry, but we went for her funeral. So it was pretty drear. And that evening, John took me back to, um, to Edinburgh. Uh, and had found a lovely, lovely restaurant. And it was, I mean, you need to understand, it's all been dreadful and having to clear the house and all that stuff. And it was a dreadful day and it was very bleak and very miserable and sad. And we went back to Edinburgh and we went to this restaurant and it was fabulous. We went there for dinner. And we met, a, and there was a couple on the table next to us. And um, they were Asian Americans and they'd been on the flight, easy jet, the day before. And... Um, John said, you know, I think we saw you on the flight and we chatted a little bit. And then we carried on eating our dinner and it was really very sweet. It was very special. And um, at the end, the lady, they went out to the restaurant before us and he went out and she came to our table and she said, excuse me, how long have you been married? And we said, 43 years. And she said, it's beautiful to watch. It was so sweet. And it was, is that what you meant? <laughs> I hope so. You left me swinging in the wind otherwise. But, but what was so sweet was, you know, what I'm trying to say to you is we didn't do anything. We were broken. But the Spirit of God was there. 
and he changes things. He changes us. And he opens the eyes of the people around us to see things that they want. That's what I, my point is. The Spirit of God can change us. Archbishop William Temple, no one can be indwelt by the Spirit of God and keep that Spirit to himself. Where the Spirit is, he flows forth. If there is no flowing forth, he is not there. The Spirit of God is to flow forth from this peak place, people. There's to be a flowing forth in this season. I'm not a great prophet. I shook a prophet's hand once. But I do sometimes get impressions of things. And I just feel that you're on the brink of a season. You're on the cusp of something. And God is wanting to move. And he's wanting there to be a flowing forth from this place in this season. The Holy Spirit changes us. Secondly, I've only got three little things to say. Changes us. He empowers us. You must surely agree Pentecost is all about power. The words of Jesus again, you will receive power. It's power we need, people. We need the power of God more than we ever needed the power of God in these days. He empowers us to believe what we believe. He empowers us to hold on to what we believe. He empowers us to live each day from morning to night. He gives us power to stand our ground. He gives us power to keep our heads when all around are losing theirs. He gives us power to swim against the stream. He gives us power to hold our nerve as believers because it's not easy. And he has given us all power to hang on through the most grisly year that most of us have ever lived. Probably anyone who wasn't alive in the Second World War has never lived through what we've all lived through in the last 18 months. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love Jesus and to obey him and to carry out what he's told us to do. To speak up for our most holy faith. He empowers us to carry out the mandate that Jesus gave us when he told us to pray for the sick, preach the gospel, go to the poor, clothe the hungry, visit the prisons, cast out the demons, bind up the brokenhearted. Those are all parts of the mandate that Jesus has given to his followers, which is us. And we cannot do it. We cannot begin to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit poured out. We have never needed it more. And yet, people, I have to tell you, these things are happening. These things are happening. We are on a roll. We are on the winning side. The victory is with the church. Lives are being transformed. Bodies are being healed. Demons are being chased out. Nerves are being steadied. Marriages are being rescued. Families are being strengthened. Ordinary believers are praying for the sick, are feeding the hungry, are doing the things that we have been mandated to do. And churches are growing. Don't you believe what they tell you? The Lord is on the move. And as I keep saying, he is not mocked. He really is not to be mocked or trifled with. Christians provide the greatest volunteer force in this land. It's Christians who are there sheltering the homeless, ministering in hospitals as chaplains, comforting the bereaved and the sick and the suffering, running towards pain. Did you see on the news this week the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge going to visit Pastor Mick in, was it Burnley? Did you see that? And did you see that man who was a 
murderer, um, ex-offender. I mean, talk about a real rotter. Saved, changed, transformed, Spirit of God come upon, going to the poor, rescuing the broken, going to people that nobody else will go to, praying over, praying over our future king and queen. He took them on and he prayed for them and they were so deeply moved. And you think to yourself, the Spirit of God is moving. The church is not going to be broken by this. We really are not. Our future king and queen have just been prayed for from a man from the streets. And I love that. It's a drama in my world, but it's a beautiful thing. Did you see it? Well, I'm a, and am I lying? No, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> um, we had a National Leaders Conference. Some of you were probably there, many, oh, maybe three or four years ago now, four or five years ago. And we had invited a Presbyterian minister from America to come and do Bible studies for us. Now, he was a Bible teacher second, and a man called Greg Thompson, Dr. Greg Thompson, wonderful, wonderful teacher. Now, he took a big risk on us because he didn't know anything about the vineyard. We took a pretty big risk on him, actually, because we didn't know whether he'd be able to cope at all. However, he did. He came. He was amazing. And he went home and he reported to his quite straight-laced congregation in Charlottesville in Virginia of what had been going on. And he said, well, I had not been to a vineyard before and I have not come across these people before, but there were two things that really struck me about them. The first thing was that they really expect God to turn up when they ask for him. Holy Spirit, come. And the second thing he said is they run towards pain. They run towards pain. That's part of what we are commissioned to do, and we cannot do it without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So things are moving people. Let me tell you some stories. Let me tell you a young man who came to faith after a sermon that he heard over Zoom. He heard it from a church that he'd never heard of and had never visited. But when the church reopened last summer, he was found the first in a queue to get in because he said, I'm desperate to meet my new family. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Let me tell you of another man, an extreme introvert and painfully shy, but very gifted in praying for the sick. He receives words and impressions from the Lord and he prays for people and they get better. However, he's terribly introverted and doesn't really want to be with people, which is tricky. But for him, lockdown has been an absolute winner. He gets words of knowledge he rings people up, he prays over the phone, they get healed, and he doesn't have to look anyone in the eye or touch a soul. <laughs> I mean, isn't that funny? The Lord is not mocked, and the Spirit of God is poured out. I've heard of people getting healed over Zoom. You've probably got stories too. Let me tell you of a young woman who'd suffered from curvature of the spine since birth, and she felt movement in her back and the relief of pain during a time of worship over Zoom, Nobody else was with her. It never got mentioned and nobody touched her. And she was completely healed of curvature, straightened and still is. The Spirit empowers us people. He is to be poured out. He's to empower. And he does all these wonderful, wonderful things. He changes us. He empowers us. And finally, what we're just about to do and pray for, he fills us. 
the Holy Spirit fills us time and time again. And we find three little tiny bit of a word study quickly here, of three wonderful words in Greek for filling. One describes the state of a person who's permanently filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, like Stephen or Barnabas in the book of Acts. You can think of people, I can think of people who just walk around full of the Spirit of God, oozing the person of Jesus. Another of the senses is the imperfect sense, and it, can, it suggests a continual process of being filled. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to go on being filled, being filled in order to be holy and fruitful. And a third explains those times when a person is inspired, overcome, empowered by the Holy Spirit for a certain job, a certain commission that God may have given them. There was a girl I heard of recently. She'd been to a class about um, how to learn to hear God speaking and how to get words of knowledge, things like that, that we talk about. So that God will give you a little bit of information and then you go and act on it, which is a very brave thing to do. Anyway, this girl had been to the class and she was out one day, she was at work in London and she went in her lunch break to Pret-a-Manger, which is always a good thing to do. So she went to get a sandwich and she was thinking about this class that she'd been to, and suddenly there was a girl behind the desk doing the orders, and the two people in front of her evaporated, and she was stood in front of this girl. And she suddenly blurted out. She felt God had given her a word. She blurted out, and she said, I'm a Christian, and I believe in God, and I know he speaks to people, and I think he wants me to tell you that you're going to be a wonderful mother. And then she wondered what on earth she'd said. And the woman behind, behind the sandwich counter just started weeping. It transpired that she was with child by a boyfriend. She hadn't told him, and she had an abortion booked for Thursday. And on the strength of it, she cancelled the abortion, and a life was saved. Through one little word of knowledge and one person who took a risk because the Holy Spirit came upon them in that moment. And those are the moments, people, that we need to look out for. And that's what we're going to start to pray for now. The Puritans used continually to pray, O oh Lord, baptize us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want you to do that. We want you to baptize us afresh. We want you to revive us again. We want you to inundate us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and empower us for works of service. Will you not revive us again? I want to see sick people healed in Tesco's, Sainsbury's, or any grocery place of your choice. <laughs> I want to see people at bus stops being talked to about Jesus when the bus is late. I want to see people in the streets being prayed for. I want to see it in our homes and in our Sunday services, and I want churches to thrive. I want people coming to the churches, marrying each other because they met in the churches, having babies because they got married in the churches. I want to see these things happening right through this city. I want it from one end of Cardiff to the other. I want this throughout Wales. I want Wales, I want Wales's history is great, but Wales's present can be greater. And I would love to think that these things are going to happen again. And that's why I want to pray with you now the prayer of the Book of Common Prayer, which says, Lord, will you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can all go out to live and to work to your praise and glory. And the people said, Amen, Amen people. Amen.